If you would, take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 67. Next week, we will jump back in the wilderness in Numbers. Uh, We will begin our sermon series through Numbers. It will last through October, uh, the second part of the book of Numbers. Uh, But today, we're going to look at Psalm 67 as we think about what it means to worship and what it means to do missions. And this psalm is an example of what God has called us to do to not only worship Him, but to declare to the nations His greatness. So if you would stand in reverence as we read this psalm together, a psalm probably written by King David, but is meant for King Jesus. This is His psalm. Hear the words of our God. May God be gracious to us and bless us And make His face shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. O God, I pray that you would bless us. That you would bless us with the gospel today so that we understand and so that we see clearly why you have blessed us, so that your name may be known to the very ends of the earth. And God, I pray we would be given over to that task. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, normally at Ashland, our Lexington campus, and even here during the summer, is a time where we send lots of people out. And you, you look around today, and that's noticeable, uh, but not everyone's at the beach. Uh, we have a lot, which the, the Martins are, if you want to uh, make fun of them. Are they ever anywhere else? Uh, just kidding. But we have college students who are all around the world today who are serving Christ. We actually have a group of students from our youth ministry who are in Grand Isle, Louisiana today uh, who are serving Christ. And we send them out uh, during the summer, this time when they are off, this time where they have freedom to go and live in places in the Andes Mountains in other countries, to go and give weeks for the sake of the gospel. And I'll never forget the first time we were sending a team to South America. I was actually going on that team with 17 students. And I really didn't understand what I'd gotten myself into because we were going to be hiking into the Andes Mountains and trying to navigate that with 17 uh, teenagers who had hardly ever left the state of Kentucky was a chore. But we had prepared for about three months to send this team out. And one of the things that we wanted to communicate to the church was this is not an isolated team going to do something fun and adventurous. We as a church were going to take the gospel to the Andes Mountains. And everyone was a part of that team. 
You see, missions isn't just for an isolated group of people. It's not just a program. It's not just a ministry group over here. It's what the church is called to do. And one Sunday morning, we wanted to communicate this as this team was leaving. And so Pastor David asked anyone who was going on the trip to stand up. And then he asked anyone who had given to the trip to stand up. And then he asked anyone who had discipled any of the teenagers who were there to stand up. And then he asked anyone who had baked goods to stand up. And anyone, and he just had a list of things, and before we knew it, everyone in the congregation was standing up. And it was a powerful uh, picture of what it means for a church to be on mission. Whether you are praying, whether you are sending, the point was you are the mission team. But this week as I was studying, I thought about something. One thing we didn't ask, anyone who has worshipped, stand up. Because as we see in this psalm, it is worship that sends us around the world. The heart of missions is worshiping Christ. And a church that is genuinely passionate about Christ in worship will be aggressive in sending for the sake of the mission. Now, we worship on a daily basis. We live under the authority of Christ. But it is always culminated in community as we gather together and we worship together. And this psalm is a picture of that. Notice, first of all, knowing Him for the sake of mission. The, the psalmist prays this, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And here we see the call to be gracious to us, to be kind and to bless us is the same. To, to be blessed is to be graced. It is to be given something you don't deserve. To be given something you don't have, something you don't need. And so there is this cry for blessing. The heart of blessing is grace. But notice what the psalmist is praying for as he asks to be graced or blessed. Make your face shine upon us. The heart, the foundation of all blessing we see here is the very presence of God. You see, we have all of these notions of what it means to be blessed by God, getting stuff from God, God doing what we would have Him to do. We have all of those notions, but biblically, the heart of blessing is to have the presence of God with us. And notice the way he describes it, make His face, His presence shine upon us. God, we want You to be pleased with us. We don't want you just to be with us because your holiness, if you are with us, demands that our sin be judged. No, if there is a way, we want you to be pleased. We want to be accepted by you. Make your face shine with pleasure upon us. That's what it means to be blessed, is to have God with us, accepting us, pleased with us. Now, why is this a prayer that we have to pray? Why is this a blessing that we have to ask for? Why can we not just assume the presence of God? We go all the way back to Genesis 3. Adam sins against God, and what happens? He is banished from the presence of God. 
the rebels against God, those who say, I want to do it my way, I want what I want, are separated in death from God. And so the longing of the Bible from Genesis 3 to the very end is this longing to have the unrestricted pleasure of God, His presence with us. And God is working that out. We see that in the Bible. But here, the psalmist is crying for that. Understanding that the blessing of God is his presence is crucial for you in the way that you live your life. And it's the difference in thinking God exists for you or you for God. And it's the difference in praying to God to do things for you or simply to be with you. When you understand you don't deserve the presence of God, you don't care what he does for you as long as you are with him. Those who who assume the presence of God, they they think it's deserved in their life, are constantly discontent, longing for God to do more. And you know that works out in every relationship. If your friend you see as a gift from God, you don't care what they do for you. They're just your friend, and you love their presence. You love being with them. You love them as a person. If God, you realize you don't deserve his presence, you realize you don't deserve anything from him, you're constantly, you're not asking God do more. You're saying, God, just be with me. God, just walk with me. And that's the promise of God in the Bible. And here, the psalmist is crying for that. He's longing for that. But notice the purpose of the presence of God with the people of God, that your way may be known on the earth. You see, the blessing of God's presence doesn't just resonate with us. It doesn't end with us. God's presence with us means that his, notice the psalm says, the the way, your way may be known in all the earth. Having God's presence with Israel in the Old Testament was a declaration of God's holiness. As the nations heard about his dealings with Israel, they were to be amazed at this holy God who is not like anyone else they knew or they had heard of. Not like any other God, not like any other idol. We want your holiness and we want your faithfulness to be made known. So be with us. Notice he continues, your saving power your rescuing, your delivering power among all nations. God, bless us. Be with us so your holiness may be known, so your faithfulness may be known, so the nations would even cower in fear knowing you deliver your people, knowing you fulfill your promises. God, bless us. Be with us so that the earth, so that the peoples may see your greatness, so that the peoples may see your goodness. It's not just bless me to bless me. Not just bless me to make me happy. It's bless me so that others may know you. You are the one who rescues. You are the one who delivers. You are the one who fulfills his promises. As the nations worship their idols, as the nations gather around these spirits, as the nations are oppressed by their rulers and leaders, God, the way you deal with us declares who you are, and it invokes a longing in the nations to know you. Be with us so the world will know how great you are. And here's the catch. We get you. (laughs) Do you get that? 
It's not that we just get everything that you do for us. No, we get you and everything you do for us is plus, is benefit, is bonus. God, we want the nations to see you're great, so be with us. And this was the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. As the nations are scattered at the Tower of Babel, God adopts Abraham and he makes him this promise, all peoples will be blessed through you. You look around and you hear the story. You hear how everyone is scattered out in many different words. Through you, Abraham, through one word, all the peoples will be gathered back together and they will be blessed through you. My presence will be made known through you, Abraham, through this nation. And we see this fulfilled in Christ. As we think about this prayer that the way may be known on all the earth, that God's saving power among the nations may be known, we know here today that this is fulfilled in Christ. That the glory of God is made known in Christ. As we see the fullness of God take on flesh and live and walk among us, fully submitted to his authority, fully submitted to his power, we see the way of God made known in all the earth to the point that he would say, I am the way. I'm the only way. And we see his saving power made known to all nations as on the cross he makes a payment for sin and he purchases a way for all peoples to be in the presence of God forever. We see that his way, we see that his saving power has been made known. And like the psalmist, those who have tasted it, those who have tasted the fullness of his blessing, the presence of God in Christ. You have the indwelling spirit within you. What is your prayer? God, you have blessed me. Now I want the nations to know. Now I want all the earth to know your way. I am longing for the day when Christ will rule and Christ will reign over over the nations and I want them to know him Now, you see, the reason some of us don't share the gospel is because we don't know him. Because if you know him, you know his way, you know his saving power, there is this longing for the earth, the longing for the peoples to know him. Techniques and methods and all of that are useful tools. But you can have all of the the evangelistic methods on your shelf. You can have all of the verses memorized. But if you don't know Jesus, you won't talk about him. The greatest evangelistic tool here today in this room is you. Knowing and walking with Jesus. Do you talk about Jesus on a regular basis? The question is, are you knowing him? Are you walking with him? Is he a real person to you? You see, we, we, we make Jesus into these abstract concepts. This sort of bullet point presentation that we give people. This abstract thing that is out there. And yet Jesus is a person And just like any other person that you know and that you love, you talk about them. Imagine if I walked in here today and says, I I want to tell you about Danae. Point one, she's a good cook. Do you believe she is a good cook? You've tasted her food. 
and just sort of went through a list about her. You would say that's the oddest thing in the world. But so often that's the way we treat Jesus. This abstract information is out there, and that's why he's irrelevant to half the people we're around. Because we're not walking with him in wisdom. He says here, if you know him, all of who Jesus is for you should commend others to him. But so often we walk around and what we talk about is not Jesus, but we talk about how bad things are for us. And Jesus is irrelevant. Complaining, whining, what we like to call venting which at the end of the day is sin. And people look at our lives and say, Jesus makes no difference. Who is this person? Do do you know Jesus? Are you sharing Jesus? The two go together. But notice there is this worshiping Him for the sake of the mission. Notice, we we know God. We know His way. We want the nations to know. And so then there's this cry, there's this longing in worship where he says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And there's this call to the nations to worship. Here we see worship that longs for more worship. The, the, psalm is wor- the psalmist is worshiping. The people are worshiping. Literally means to declare the worth of God. The worth, the value of God. If there were a set of scales, he outweighs everything else. And there is the declaration with their mouths that God is good. That God is great. That he is to be treasured above all other gods, all other idols, all other things. And we see, in this, we see in the Bible that from our heart, what is in our heart overflows from our mouth. And we have this huge collection of songs in our Bible that are inspired by the Spirit of God that say what we believe in our hearts about God comes out our mouths and in the form of songs. Now, I say that because some of you don't believe that because I know that because I stand up here and I don't hear anyone singing on Sunday morning but Clay half the time. Now, I'm sorry to step on your toes. I can't sing a lick. And I stand up here and Danae's like looking this way, trying her best to sing without me, uh, without hearing me. When I was a teenager, I remember I had my little Walkman and I was walking around listening to Wes King Uh, one of his uh, uh, albums or tapes or whatever, and I was singing, and my mom came up to me, and she said, stop, stop, you're done singing, or I can hear you. I can't sing. I can't sing by, I can't sing. I have no voice in and of myself, but with the people of God, there is to be this declaration of the goodness of God that overflows, that springs forth, that you cannot contain. Because you know him. You you know the most valuable, treasured being in all the universe. And so you can't just express it quietly. You sing. 
And you sing loud, and sometimes it's not as glorious as other voices, but together there is to be this declaration of the worth of God. But as we are singing, here the psalmist says, we are calling others around the world, around the globe to sing with us. And notice what we are calling them to do, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You see, some of you see worship is just something you endure. You endure to say you did it on Sunday. And yet that's not what it is at all. Whatever the music is, whatever the selection is, it is to be a culmination of all your joy and delight in Christ. You see, you of all people know the one who sums everything up. He has died for your sins. He has given you new life. He has been raised from the dead. And you will be lowered in a grave vault. And yet, because of what he has done for you, you will be raised. You know that which puts everything together in the universe. Why would you not sing? Why would you not delight in him? Notice, with joy. And why do you do this? He says here, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. You are a, here God is revealed and talked about as a person, but not just a person, a king who rules with justice. He judges the people with equity. He guides the nations with with. He guides the nations upon the earth. And here the psalmist is declaring that he is the only king who always knows and does what is right. Of all the rulers, of all the leaders in the world, starting with you, you're not a good ruler. You're not a good leader. You're not a good king for your kingdom. But Jesus is. And then you look out at the chaos in the world, even this week, horrible things happening in Iraq that that have been posted on the internet, and you think, well, we've been doing this for so long, when is there going to be peace? And you, you, you see millions of orphans in Africa, tens of thousands of people around the world who die on a daily basis because they do not have clean water. Do, you, do we ever get a handle of that? They're drinking out of mud puddles. And they're dying. They don't have food. And they die. And, and even in our own country, and we, we begin to think about this ruler, and, and this political party, and this agenda, and this tax plan, and, and we begin to think about all of that as solutions to the problem. And here the psalmist says, no. you got to work in those areas for things that reflect the gospel. But at the end of the day, the nation's only hope is Jesus Christ. That he will set up shop and that he will rule and that he will reign. And here, he is the only good, wise king who always does what is right, who always does what is good. And so when we worship here today, it's not as though we're getting in our own little corner and singing to our own little personal king. No, we're saying he's king of the universe and the only hope for people across the street down the road, Richmond, Kentucky, and the only hope for folks in Indonesia who are gathering today around little idols 
who are walking in this animism, this mysticism that makes no sense to us. Their only hope is that they would join us in worshiping Jesus. And so he repeats, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, our worship is to commend the greatness of Christ to others. See, every, every Sunday when we gather here, we are making a declaration that Jesus is greater than anything else. And we sing about it. And we pray to him. And we acknowledge his sovereignty. And so there are people who even may gather here, but people who know about what's going on here, and they are drawn to Christ. You see, we don't have to be evangelistic to be evangelistic, if you know what that means. Some people come in and say, is this going to be an evangelistic sermon? What do you mean by that? Are you going to preach John 3, 16? You're going to give an altar call? The sermon's going to be about Jesus. It's evangelistic. Jesus is lifted up. Clay does this, used to do this, and, and we sort of uh, subtly rebuked him a few times. What's the sermon going to be about this week so I can pick out songs? And I would text back Jesus. <laughs> it's about Jesus, and that is evangelistic. But we don't have to set this place up like a nightclub or like a, like a coffee shop or like some sort of concert to be relevant to unbelievers. We come in and we worship the king that we know who solves all of our problems, solves the world's problems, and they are drawn to him because they see our delight, our joy in him. Our worship commends Christ to others, but it also propels us out to the nations. It doesn't matter how innovative it is, how ingenious it is. It doesn't matter how, how the, the, the sound works. It doesn't matter what sort of light show you put on. If people aren't going to the ends of the earth because of what they do on Sunday, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Worship is to propel us to the nation. Because we come in and we delight in this king who we know and we know he's the only hope of the world and we also know that he will be glorified when every square inch and every heart is brought under submission to his name. And so we come in and he is lifted up and he is raised up and he is praised and he is treasured and then we go to the nations to tell them about our king. That's one reason Sunday after Sunday we want to be reminded that there are millions and millions, billions of people who what goes on here would be odd and strange. Not just because it's a religious service, because theirs are all over the world, but because it's about Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And many of them do not have Bibles in their own language. Many of them are oppressed by governments who forbid Christianity. They are in bondage to sin. They are under the oppression of rulers. And we gather in here to be reminded that we have Jesus and they need Jesus. And so notice what the psalmist does here in verse 6. He prays. The earth has yielded its increase. Literally, the land. If this is David, the land that he rules over is, is yielding its increase. It is bringing forth produce. 
We are delighting even in the material blessings of God. And the nations look in and they see this ragtag group of slaves from Egypt who were rescued from Pharaoh, who are now in the land after they have taken over the Canaanites. And it makes no sense. We heard stories, them walking around walls and defeating other kingdoms. It makes no sense. And now they are in the land, enjoying the land, and the nations look in and say, their God is amazing. Look at all God has done. The, the earth has yielded its increase. The land has brought forth blessing. And, and so often we have skewed what material blessing is to do for us. Because we are familiar with what's called the health wealth gospel, which resonates on us. God, do what we want to so we will be happy, honor our faith so we will be something or somebody. It's not about Jesus. But even when God does bless in material ways, it is a reminder that you don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything from him. You don't deserve one thing from him. And when he blesses, you're to be amazed by that. And here the psalmist is amazed. But there is also this longing for the day when in the land that God has provided, the nations will come and the nations will live under the authority of God. Israel was to be a beacon of light to the nations that would draw them in under the authority of Christ. And now we go out. To the nations, but we still long for the consummation of this kingdom when we will live in the land with Jesus and with the nations. And the great thing is, you've already tasted that in the gospel. This kingdom that is coming is alive and well in the heart of every believer. You have the presence of the one who is going to transform death to life and make all things new. And as you taste that day, you long for the nations to know. And so material blessing, spiritual blessing, is to be used for the sake of the nations. The problem is we short-circuit it. And we think it's just about us. God, you have blessed me with a, with a wife, with a, with a family, and we begin to think that those blessings are about us. It's just for me. And so marriage isn't to proclaim the gospel. Marriage is to make me happy. And, and so we begin to think, no, her presence just isn't enough. I need her to do a few more things. I need her to be a certain way. Instead of, I've got this opportunity in marriage to reflect the God. I got this blessing. I've got to reflect the gospel to the world. I got these blessing of these kids and, and they're not just for me to be well-mannered and, and, and to sort of be idols and props to, 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 to prop up on my shelf as one who has embraced the, the white middle-class American dream and everything's special and everything's happy. No, they're to be Instruments for the sake of the gospel. And even as the psalmist says, arrows that are sent out. Blessings that are given to you for the sake of the gospel. Marriage, kids, the gifts and abilities that you have in the church that God has blessed you with so often turn in on you. And it's about having your name on a sheet of paper. I am this ministry leader. I, I do this. I signed up for this. I'm going to do this. And, and it's about, no, it's not about you. It's about the gospel. It's about the church being better equipped to take the gospel to the nations. And we take things that are blessings and they end on us and they become curses. Ask today, what has God blessed you with? 
your faith. Why did God save you? Why did God bring you here today? Why? Just so that you would have eternal fire insurance? Just so you could be happy and go to heaven when you die? No, He blessed you in Christ so that the nations would be blessed. And even beyond that, why do I have this money? Why do I have this job? Why do I have this house? Why do I have this family? How can we be organized as a strategic mission-sending agency, even in our home? God has blessed us. God has given us so much. How are we being a channel for the sake of others knowing Him? Because it's not about you. And when blessings become about you, they're curses. They're taken away. That's why so often we say during vacation Bible school, this place will be cram-packed with kids. And we remind ourselves that they are blessings. That every single one of them, the one that just ran through the wall like a Tasmanian devil, is a blessing that we don't deserve to be in this building. That we don't deserve the opportunity to minister to. Because as soon as we think they're a curse, we don't deserve any more of them to show up. So we steward the blessings. And even as a church, we are constantly praying and we are asking, God, bless us. Notice the psalmist is unashamed about that. Bless us. Give us more. Continue to prove your name through us. Notice, so that the ends let all the ends, there's a prayer, God bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. All the ends of the earth be brought under submission to him. And so we are constantly aggressive for the blessings of God so that they would be used for the sake of the nations. And so we pray for more people to come to faith in Christ. Why? So we can be great. So we can be known as the going, blowing church in Madison County? No, because we want more people to go to the ends of the earth. And every person you share the gospel with is a potential missionary. Every kid that you sit down and you plead with them to believe the gospel is a potential missionary. And they are people who will live in the context of the church and they will give and they will pray and they will go. And so we pray to God, give us more. So the ends of the earth will fear you, be brought under submission to you. Because here's the danger as a church. We begin to think that anything that God does for us is because we're special. Because we put together the right system. Because we got a nice, cool, hip worship leader on Sunday morning because we put all, that's funny that's supposed to be funny some of you looked at Clay and thought I don't know if I should laugh and make him feel bad <laughs> but, but we put all of this together in the right little package and, and, and God it's all about us and look at what we've done and so it begins to resonate on us and the ministry begins to grow bigger and it grows bigger and it grows bigger and it's all about us if we are not a channel it will be crushed and it will die. If not, during our lifetime, when Jesus steps out of the sky. And we long for the nations to fear Him. We long for the nations to worship Him. And so we ask today, who is the worship team? 
Is it the 10, 30 college students who are out doing mission work right now? Is it 25 students in Grand Isle? Is it the hundreds of people that will be sent out this year from Ashland on mission trips? No, it's the worship team. And not Clay in the band and not Pastor Nate in the band. But us. As we declare the greatness of Christ today, we commend others to Him and we were propelled out to them. Let's pray. God, thank You for the opportunity to preach Your Word today. God, it is a blessing that I do not deserve. God, we deserve to be thinking and contemplating and focused and committed to something other than Jesus. To be separated from you and yet in the gospel you've brought us near to Christ. You've forgiven us of our sins and you promised that for eternity we will be in your presence unashamed because we have Christ, accepted by a Father because we have Christ. And God, I pray that we would delight in that reality. We would enjoy it. Even as we are about to sing, we would enjoy the gospel and our joy would overflow in our evangelism, our missions. And I pray that even here today, there's someone who is worshipped who says, I'm going. There's someone who is worshipped who says, I'm giving more. There's someone who is worshipped who says, I'm going to strategize so that the king that I praise today may be known to the ends of the earth. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.